I'm Judy Toth, and I want to welcome you on this uh, last Sunday. Our opening words this morning are from Dr. Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, who said these words in 1926 uh, on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of the founding of Ethical Culture. If there is to be a new upward turn in ethics and religion, if ethical societies are to multiply, it cannot be made to do so by instituting lectures, by devising rituals, or even by establishing good social projects and good works. However indispensable these may be, the ethical movement must give birth, must give birth to personalities who have attained for themselves an abiding ethical faith in humankind and are aflame with it. Today, as usual, we're acknowledging the end of the season. But of course, the reason we're all here today is because we are acknowledging the end of an era. This has actually been a very good year for us. I think when we look at where we've come with our service programs, particularly the ones that are dealing with hunger and homelessness, and how we are participating in networks to change legislation and to help people, and funding that network by the raising of the 50,000 we raised this year, means a cadre of people are really taking leadership and hundreds of us are willing to participate to make something like that happen. And that could have been the story of this year. And then, of course, um, this was the year, um, year 25, where our 15-year warranties were clearly up on our heating and air conditioning system. <laughs> we had fallen into the belief that our HVAC was supernatural and would never die. And we had to come to the membership and say, well, oops, we don't have any heating. And, and people contribute very generously. And we have 30000 of about the 70000 it's going to cost to replace it. And we learned something about ourselves, and that is that we have to pay more attention to our meeting space in which things happen pay more attention to those resources as we keep expanding our programs. But that's not what this year is going to be known for. I mean, ni 1992 is going to always be known as the year that Joel Silverman retired. Um, I can see many faces here of these Steve Boyan, Muriel Davies, past leaders here, and um, a, a lot of faces that, of people who've known Joel for a long time, and I know on her behalf, I appreciate your being here today. Um, the first I know, and this I only know from stories uh, about how Joel came here, is that she was uh, a woman looking to have a part-time job so she could get out of the house a little bit. And then she heard about this opportunity, and it was on 16th Street, not very far away, so she applied for it. And the committee, after interviewing, came to her and said, 
you're our choice. We're going to present you to the board. And she said, I just want you to know that you're advertising for a Sunday school director, and I don't know anything about education or how to teach religion or ethics. And the committee said, don't worry, you'll do fine. <laughs> and of course, now we know that she did do fine. They were right. The don't worry part, I don't think she ever really got. <laughs> you know, I actually know a lot of like worriers. I mean, people who are really into worry. But Joel is the only one I know who is a professional worrier. We pay her to worry. We pay her to worry about us. You know, we pay, I know, this is my, I have this little safety net of my own, that if at any moment in time, Joel is not worrying at me at something, then the universe is good and I can relax in that moment. That she has a worry sensitivity that is a wake-up light for us. Joel was hired as a Sunday school director, 65 students. And those are the days when the councils met during the day because the women were unworking women, non-working women. And uh, they would serve elaborate desserts. And they would do an elaborate amount of work. I mean, they not only ran the Sunday school, but they ran all the Sunday morning festivals, Thanksgiving and Winter Festival and Spring Festival. And at the end of the year, they would have the dinner for teachers. And they would be elaborate dinners in this room with every person bringing the tablecloth and table setting of their own china to set the different tables for the teachers. Uh, they knew how to do things right and elegantly. Um, I'm wondering, of the people who, uh, is there anyone here who taught Sunday school? When, no one at first, let me ask, taught Sunday school when Joel was a Sunday school director first? Stand up. Eleanor Happy is here. Has anybody here served on the council or were a member at the time that uh, Joel was? Oh, and I'm sorry, Betty Chia and Bubbles, I'm sorry, I apologize. And see, so stay standing there for a moment. What about people who were just members at the time? Herb, great. Hank, Bob, great. Great. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, this year, we haven't taken a moment to um, acknowledge this year's Sunday school teachers, but I thought this would be a good time. If you taught Sunday school this year, would you please stand up? Great, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I particularly acknowledge Sunday school teachers because we're talking like every Sunday. And that's a big commitment. It's every Sunday to somebody else's kids, um, which can be a very challenging uh, thing to take on. And not only to relate to them, but to teach them something about kindness and fairness along the way. Uh, I really admire uh, those of you who are willing to do that and have done that for my kids. Um, so Joe began as the Sunday school uh, director. And um, uh, I arrived five years later. And um, she was a person who was there in the office two days a week, and I had to get to know her, and I'm trying to figure out who is this lady who is a Sunday school director. And the first thing that would strike you right off is that she comes to work every day with Babalu, which is his, her dog. 
<coughs> and not long after I'm here, she comes to work with the dog carrying another dog. And I ask her where she got the dog, and she said, well, she found it on the way, driving on the way to work here. And I asked her if she had stolen somebody's dog, and <laughs> she said, no, it doesn't have a collar, and it was loose in the traffic, and anybody could see that this was a dog in need of help. And so she, I don't know how many of those cats and dogs you've had in your house, you've had in your house, Aaron, but I <laughs> would guess that you can't even tell me which one this one was, right? Yes, yes. Well, that was the first and most obvious thing. And, um, uh, but on closer look, you could notice that that same special eye of caring and being helpful uh, was not uh, reserved for all just canines and felines. It was for human beings as well. Um, she really paid attention to every single person. She paid attention to... Um, what was going on in their life, how they were, important things that were happening to them, when they might need help. Um, another way to put that is that she was an incredible gossip. <laughs> she was always aware of everything that went on all the time. But she had a really put a very good spin on things because what she would pass on is important information about people what they were interested in, what they were trying to do, what they needed, how people could help each other. The other thing that I noticed about Joel at the time was that there would happen, more often than I could imagine why, uh, a point in a meeting where Joel would say to everybody there, what we really have to do is to call everybody in the directory. And everybody else in the committee would go, ah. And then Joel would offer the bait. She would say, if everybody in this room will take one side of the page, I will take the opposite side and do half the book. And most people were all shamed into accepting their book. <laughs> what you found out, though, is that she really took both sides of the book, and if you didn't do your half, she'd do them for you. She seemed to genuinely enjoy talking with a lot of people and making that contact with people. And that was remarkable. So here she is, a Sunday school director, but really being very active in a lot of people's lives. So after her eighth year, she became the community coordinator. And her duties were to pay attention to membership and to newcomers. <clears throat> now, I would guess that a number of people in this room have joined since Joel has become the person in charge of newcomers. So you know intimately about what she's created here. But I want to say a little bit from what I think would be her point of view. <clears throat> Although she's now said it to me this way. That she's here every Sunday morning. And at any given time, there's about 100 people checking out what the ethical society is. And some of those people may be here for the next 25 years. And some of these people may never come back another day. Or they may come two or three times and then never be here again. And she pays attention to who, what your name is, anything she can remember about you. She starts a file in her heart. She pays attention to who you are. So when you come back, there's a conversation to pick up on. 
And she does that even though someone may disappear and if she were a worrier, she could think, oh, was it something I said or did or didn't do? But kind of risking your heart out there to that many people is a remarkable service that she's provided us. So you want to know about the other side? You came to a newcomer's meeting. Who did you meet? You met Joel. And then she, um, in recent years, would have got you an appointment with someone called an elder. And she would meet with yourself and kind of give you a lot of ways of participating and compassionate referrals sheets and things like that. And then you'd be invited to a connections potluck. These were all the kinds of things that Joel put into motion as ways of greeting people, getting people to meet each other and get connected with the ethical society. And then there was um, fundraisers. Now, Joel always worried about the summers because while board people and planning people work, how are people going to get together and know each other in the summer? And fundraisers was a wonderful idea because it meant that there were these wonderful 60 events happening, decentralized, just happening. People were gathering in each other's living rooms or whatever, getting to know each other. And um, yet the organization could kind of relax. And she has every single year supported a different team of people, some, of, some people doing the roles over and over again, to create that experience now twice a year for many years as a way of, of connecting us. And then there was the Caring Committee, which of course is not the Caring Committee, it's the Committee for a Caring Community that um, assigned itself the responsibility of standing up here on Sunday morning or respond to people when they were in need to really create and make sure that there was an identity and that we were a caring community. And that again is an extension of uh, Joel's energy of what she once started trying to do alone. And then Joel was always bugged by the fact that there were people who live in different neighborhoods who like, don't even know each other, but they come to the Ethical Society. And sometimes they could drive together or whatever. And so we have now the neighborhood groups. Again, having supported those of you who are head of neighborhood groups, you know it was probably Joel who invited you to do it and supported you in doing that neighborhood organization. And the... Friend Central, which is the heart of that. That there's something in our neighborhoods that responds. Those are the kind of things that Joel did. And I would say about her is that she has inside a very good motor. I mean, not somebody who just responds only to um, what's pragmatic in her environment. She has kind of a real inner sense of how people should be treated. And when she sees uh, a slight of that, grand or little, her little good motor goes off and says, we've got to do something about that. And she'll worry us until we do something about that. 
And that kind of moral compassness and that energy is something that uh, I know I deeply appreciate. Now, when uh, Joel first started uh, as the membership um, person, community coordinator, we were 161 members. And today we're 371 members. Um, you know, we, uh, a phrase I think I've heard more than anything else is um, call Joel. <laughs> and although we're not going to pay her anymore, I don't think we're going to stop calling Joel. That's because I, she knows so many of us and so many of us know her. When I um, started meeting with her because we're talking about we have to hire other people to replace her, we went through job descriptions that were many pages long, and on, and on. And finally, I asked her, "If you were going to like just say one thing that we need to look for, you know, besides all of these different duties and things, what would it be?" And she said, "You got to find somebody who's willing to personally know 500 people." Well, today we represent the 500 people Joel personally knows, and um, I'd like to ask you in tribute to her to join in uh, the first of some songs that uh, Mary Herman and a crew of people have written. And the song that I'd like to sing to her first is We Gotta Have Joel. And if the chorus will come up here to kind of be rudder for us. Well, for the next few minutes, if uh, anyone has any thoughts or stories or anecdotes or acknowledgments that they'd like to do towards Joel, this is a 
open platform, and I'll bring you the mic. Let's just be quiet together for a few seconds, and then let me know if you'd like to say something brief. I'm Maxine Pinot, and I was the secretary the day that Joel walked through the door. She said to me, <laughs> she said, I'm Joel Silverman, and I don't know why I'm here. Because I really don't like children. <laughs> but behold her splendid family. I learned right away that this was not true. And we spent a lovely, humorous, joyous next seven years working together, and ever since then, good friends. I'm Eleanor Heppy. I was one of the ones who hired Joel. <laughs> it was wonderful. When we met Joel, we knew instinctively that she was for us. And as it turned out, you all know that that's true. It was wonderfully fun working with Joel. She always made a meeting hugely funny and worthwhile, and we always came to meetings. I don't think anyone ever didn't come to a meeting, as, no matter how tired we were with children, no matter what time the meeting was called, we always came because Joel was there and she led us and she made us feel that we were doing something worthwhile, and we did. I'm Betty Hilton, and I think a lot of people in this room have joined directly as a result of Joel, and I'm one of those people, but my story has a little spin on it. Uh, I have to preface that by telling you first off that a lot of people think that uh, Rachel Hardick and I look alike, and we each take that as being very complimentary and flattery. <laughs> and so uh, when I came to my first... Um, get to know, you know, Wes meeting. Um, Joel told me about Wes and newcomers meeting, right? And um, so I decided to come to the platform the following Sunday. And as I was standing at the door, sort of hesitant, not knowing exactly where to sit and so on, she beckoned to me and started motioning and waving and pointing to this empty seat beside her. And I thought, this is the most wonderful organization. I'm not even a member yet. And here she's in, she has saved a seat for me. <laughs> so I sat down, and of course I became a member. And years later, when I was telling this story in front of Joel, she got this sort of sheepish smile on her face. And she said, well... Now I can tell you the truth. I thought you were Rachel. <laughs> it feels as if the other half should pick up after that. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think what I, I want to do is, is speak to what she's done up till the very last year. Because although I, I had always known how much work Joel 
always put into the society, even in a society of workaholics, it was really quite impressive. Um, it wasn't until I started to get more active and started to become a member of the Caring Committee and Connections Committee and Friends Central of my neighborhood group. And every time I moved in, Joel was there. And not only had she launched these groups, but up until this year, she's, she's continued to work with them and to shape them and to support the people working in them. And personally, I'd like to say that she's been a constant spur to my own development. And and in spite of occasional differences of opinion, has been the most steadfast, among the most steadfast friends I've had in the Ethical Society. Thank you, Jill. When I first came, I was very, very shy. Couldn't talk to people at all. And I think you had been here maybe a year or so. It was 68. Anyway, my math, forget math. I still can't count. Maybe you can help me with that. <laughs> but Joelle said to me the magic words, why don't you make coffee? So I did. <laughs> I'm Josh Silverman, and I'm Joel's son, and she doesn't like children. Um, but I have, since she became the religious education director and uh, came to the Ethical Society, and she got really involved, um, have always heard about each and every one of you as it transpired. Um, I talk to my mom probably more each week than all of you put together. And... You know, I would always hear, it was, like, it was like hearing, you know, I'm a member of the immediate family, which meant that if she wanted something immediately, I would have to bring it. Um, but, but as the extended family, as the extended family, I would hear about each and every one of you. I would hear about, you know, Uncle Don or Aunt Judy or Aunt, Aunt Bubbles or, you know, and it would, it would come across like that. She wouldn't say that, but it would always come across as a member of the family. And I know that she always made you feel like when she always made she she always made you feel like when she was with you she liked you best you were you had that something special and and you knew that when you walked away you were her favorite and i just want you to know that i'm her favorite <laughs> Hi, I'm Joan Field, and I'm not a member of the Society, but I share something with all of you. I'm a friend of Joel's, and uh, she has been uh, the Washington Post to me and more in that I know a lot about all of you. Uh, she's also my Henry Mitchell, so I know a lot about gardening. She's my Ann Landers, so she answers all the questions that I ever need in life. Uh, and she's... Um, I think she's just very special, and I know she's been special in my life, and I know she'll continue to be, and I'm sure she will for all of you. Thank you.
Well, I really don't have much to say, but I did, couldn't let a time pass not to let Joe know how important she is to me and to so many people for so many years, and it's going to be very hard not to turn to Joel for an answer or an acerbic observation. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Alex Silverman-Stock, and uh, a while ago, Josh and Mary told me not to talk to my mother every day. <laughs> and I come to find out, find out it's because he thinks he's her favorite. <laughs> and I found out that it's so they could talk to her every day. Well, for some reason, um, Mary and I wonder how in the world it is that the other one has already talked to my mother, you know, by, by noon during the day. And I just want you all to know that even though she's retiring, uh, I want you to call her because, I mean, she will still find time to give us plenty of advice. <laughs> Joe was the first person I talked to at the Ethical Thir Society 13 years ago, and she answered the phone, and I came over, and we had this great conversation, and I thought, I want to work with this lady. And she said, but first you have to talk to our leader. He's down on a mountain in the hills of, West Vir of Virginia. And I thought, this is kind of a strange place, but Joel seems okay, so I'll go with it. We've spent 13 years in a roller coaster relationship, and what's happened over those 13 years is that we've both become grandparents, and uh, the sense of family that we both share and how important it is has been a big link for us. And uh, <clears throat> I promised myself I'd do this without getting emotional. I can't believe you're leaving. I mean, I really can't. I'm sure this is all a big joke. <laughs> But I also sustain myself by thinking of the words of Adler, who said that the true test of an ethical society is not its programs or, or its courses or its inspiring speeches, but if it disappeared, would those relationships that were built there and lasted still be there? And I know Joelle will still be there, and I'm counting on her. Thank you. Well, I'm George Neal, and like almost everyone else, Joel was one of the uh, first people I met when I came to the Ethical Society. And she became a very good friend. Um, she was always willing to listen when I called up with news or a problem, and she um, helped me out in some situations that I thought were uncomfortable, and just been a very warm friend. But one thing I know for sure, <clears throat> now that she's retiring, that there are no more excuses for not playing bridge anymore, Joel, so <laughs> you're on the line. <laughs> well, 
when I was listening to Donald describing all of Joel's accomplishments and her qualities, um, I kept thinking, oh, how did she get this way? And it's a little late to tap into the genetic code, but something gave me an idea based on some of Joel's others, other interests. I was very astonished to find that this, this woman also could be quiet and, and contemplative and silent enough to watch birds, and it's a passion with her. So on one of the fundraisers uh, uh, was a bird trip in which we joined Joel and met at her house, and on her house, another astonishment in her house was another astonishment. There was a white marble bust on her table with uh, chocolate drooling down one corner of its mouth. <laughs> and I thought, my God, this is weird. <laughs> and it was really a leftover from one of her chocolate fundraisers. And so, therefore, I suggest that here, since we're, we're all interested in adopting new um, rituals here that are meaningful, that when we, uh, we don't cannibalize Joel but when, to get into that genetic code, but when we eat chocolate, <laughs> let's think that we're imbibing a little bit of Joel and her humor and all of her wonderful <laughs> qualities. When I was single, whenever I met Joel, her first question was, or the first words out of her mouth really were, how's your love life? <laughs> there was never any subtlety involved. And normally, <laughs> normally, while I might have been annoyed at that, I took it as a great amount of concern and found it very supportive. Uh, also, whenever I was at someone else's wedding, she would always come up to me and say, you're next. And, <laughs> and finally, I was. And I found it all very supportive. There came a time where every now and then I skipped a meeting at the Ethical Society. Sometimes I skipped two or three. And then I'd come back and I'd worry about Joel. What was she going to say? She said, hello. <laughs> and her lips puckered up and she kissed me. And it was not just one kiss, but it was three sm smacks, one after the other. Have you ever been kissed that way by Joel? <laughs> if not, she owes it to you. Try it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Joel. You've been wonderful. Hi, I'm Joanna London. Uh, when I first came to the Ethical Society, I wasn't sure where my niche was, and uh, I was kind of quiet and laid back and looking around, but Joel never stopped trying to help me find my niche, and I found it with the Neighborhood Program. And uh, I'd like to read a little poem that I have written about Joel. It's called, Ode to Joel. <laughs> Joel, you're a jewel in Wes's crown. You're full of mirth and down to earth. You cheer us up when we are down. You're warm and friendly and caring. You're funny, sunny, and daring. When we feel alone and dejected, you help us to get connected. How can we meet people, eat a good meal, say what we think, share how we feel? 
says Joel, first a go-around and a one-on-one. -on -one. It's just that simple. That's how it's done. When we need some assistance, to whom can we turn who will not offer resistance or do a slow burn? Joel says, the answer's in your neighborhood, where both the food and friends are good. Joel, you know who's who. You know what's what. You know what issues are really hot. When something simply must be done, you find the right person and say, you're the one. You meet the rookies and bake them cookies. How you persist, they can't resist. When we hear your voice, our hearts rejoice. Like you, there's no other. Wes's heart, Wes's mother. Uh, Joel, I'm Randy Marks. You know that. Yes. Um, Joel, I just really, really wondering um, what Joel would say to Joel if she was retiring, and she'd say, "Don't do it," and I say, "And I say, don't do it either." Joel's was very important to me in both my marriage and my wedding in that order. Um, at the time I was about to get married, she'd been watching as she watches over every affair in this organization. She'd been watching for years, and so she was quite excited about it. Uh, but a lot of other people were quite excited about it too, and somebody leaked the information to someone who was about to employ me. And it was a time in the city when there was a lot of discrimination in a situation like this. It was 20 years ago. And somebody who shared the good news cost me a job. And I was faced with the fact that the invitations had gone out. And um, the job that I wanted more than anything else in the world would not be offered to me if I married my husband. And so Joel convinced me that a good marriage was better than a good job. <laughs> and um, I don't know if the job would have lasted, but the marriage has. And uh, through the t years, I've had hers as a model of what a good long marriage can be. And I've enjoyed both Aaron and Joel. And she stood by me right to the end. And the end uh, was a wedding in this room that was memorable for many who were here because my parents showed up an hour late. <laughs> and the end result is that there are a good many people in the city who all they know of the Ethical Society was the time they were at the wedding that Joel entertained them because my parents were an hour late. And there was, there's, I have often heard comments about that wonderful woman who was a perfect hostess until, until we finally got started. And I'd like to thank you, Joel. Hi, uh, my name is Kelly Gardner, you know that. Um, I realized I wanted to say something to Joel and became very emotional. Um, and I was waiting until I stopped being emotional and that's apparently not gonna happen, so bear with me for a minute. <laughs> um, Joel was the first person who I met also. It was at a newcomers meeting. And I was very much looking for a community like this. And I sat down next to her and immediately just fell in love with her sense of humor and how wonderful she is. And at the end of the meeting, I was actually 
pretty much ready to join, and I had one kind of thing that I was worried about. So I turned to Joel and I said, you know, um, I'm a lesbian, and I don't know kind of where the ethical society is at with that. And I don't remember exactly what she said, but what she said was, um, or what she conveyed to me was that the important thing was that I was here and that I was very special, and it was important for me to be here. And that's not something that you walk in the door and people just cold come up and say to you. And I think that that's the thing, the key thing that, you know, made me come to the Ethical Society and to be here. And I know that you're very key to the community that we have here, and I think it's that kind of love. So thank you. Um, Hi, I'm Roberta Geyer, and um, I'm one of the people who resisted Joel. When I first started coming to the Ethical Society, I was convinced that she didn't know who I was, and the man that I dated, I was convinced that, she, that he told me that she didn't know who I was. But then, something happened, and she'd come up to me all the time, and I kept wanting to hide. And, um, and this went on for a while, resisting Joel. After I joined, I became more familiar with Joel, and I um, still avoided her until finally she tapped me on the shoulder like this and said, will you start the neighbor group, neighborhood groups with me? And um, I searched for a while, and I said yes. And I must say that that was the most wonderful experience to work with Joel because she just helped me through the whole process. And we, got, we had to recruit people. We had to explain what the neighborhood was. And she just held my hand through the whole thing. And, and she always knew who to call. It was just the most wonderful experience. And from that experience, we, she's always been my friend. And she's been everybody else's friend. And I will miss you. But you will be there. My name is Claire. I want to say something about Joel's sense of humor. I see that it runs in the family. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of working with her in many capacities in the last six years, but most recently in the newcomers' uh, meetings. And I must say that I've heard her tell the same jokes at least 12 times. <laughs> and yet I laugh just as heartily every time because she really reaches out and involves people and tells it as though it was the very first time. And I think that even though we are honoring the fact that we appreciate her 25 years service uh, and that she's simply stepping aside and changing that role in our community, she's still modeling how to care because she's choosing to spend more time with her husband, with her children, and her grandchildren. And as I reflect on how ethical culture and our leaders have taught me to open up my mind, it's certainly Joel who has taught me to open up my heart and learn new ways of compassion. Thank you. It says, kindness is the greatest wisdom, and I wanted to bring that to you today. I'm Mary Ellen Sayer. I was here when Joel came on the scene and about 15 years before that. 
So she never really asked me to do anything. I guess I was too intimidating or something. <laughs> the only thing she asked me to do was to get to meetings earlier. <laughs> These meetings, Sunday morning meetings she was referring to. And as a result of her never having asked me to do anything or my taking any problems to her, you want me have problems, you know. Um, about the only thing we really did together was to trade acerbic jokes and comments. Somehow, with all her marvelous sensitivity to the needs of others, she appealed to the cynic in me. Barbara pointed out an interesting fact. Almost all women have been speaking. And I just wanted Joel to know that she attracts men also. <laughs> well, let's sing to her again. Will the chorus come up? What a friend we have in Joel. <laughs> we'll be played through by Ann Glendening one time on the keyboard, and then we may all join in second time round.
so we will let Joel have a few words, but we thought we should give her a gift of some sort after 25 years. And we thought about giving her a beautiful gold watch. But if you've ever noticed, she has a Mickey Mouse watch that she's had for many years now. And the thought of trying to separate her from our Mickey Mouse watch drove us to uh, another idea, which we call the Joel Silverman Caring Fund, to which dozens and dozens of us have given so far, and you still may contribute. Let me read to you what this is. We do hereby declare and affirm the creation of the Joel Silverman Caring Fund. Contributions to this fund will be used in the execution of ethical caregiving as deemed most fitting and appropriate by the Committee for a Caring Community in pursuit of the highest of ethical culture. This fund and resulting good works are hereby placed in perpetual existence to honor and memorialize Joel Silverman in recognition of her 25 years of devoted service to the Washington Ethical Society performed in the ethical culture tradition of deed before creed and acting so as to bring out the best in others. Thank you, Joel. with all of this and I want to thank you all this is really really very special and, and what a shock I had no idea it was coming uh, 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 and I want to thank you all for this this spectacular celebration especially Mimi Henry are you here? because well, I understand that she had an enormous amount to do with it Mimi and I both joined in 1967 and have probably worked on a jillion projects together ever since then. And also Mary Herman, I understand that you had a lot to do with this. And Mary. <laughs> Mary has been a wonderful support to me through thick and thin for the last several years. And I don't know who all else was involved. I guess everybody that brought things this morning and whatever but I guess I'll find out more from my, my deep throats. <laughs> uh, um, anyhow, I also want to say how much I appreciate uh, everybody that, that I've gotten to know over these last 25 years. Uh, it's why I've stayed for 25 years. Um, this is all so confusing. <laughs> Uh, I was listening to these tributes as I was sitting here and wondering what I could say to be modest protests when I got up here. And uh, I suddenly remembered that Hubert Humphrey once said to a colleague, don't be so humble, you weren't that good. <laughs> so so I, won't say, I won't say them. <laughs> uh, but 
getting to know roughly 500 people uh, has been really the most important thing that, that, as I saw it, that I was doing. Um, it meant being happy when, when they were happy, and it was painful when they were in pain. It meant holding their hands sometimes when they needed it, and it meant having them hold my hand when I needed it. And it meant going to their weddings and their funerals. The weddings were better than the funerals. <laughs> I remember at uh, Terry and Kevin Porter's wedding, Susan White looked around and said, um, isn't it interesting, the different constellations of West people you, you see when you go to these different weddings? And Ken Davis, quick as a flash, said, yes, but Joel is always there. Joel is like the rabbi at a kosher slaughtering house. <laughs> she doesn't do anything, but she's always there. Anyhow, a lot of people have asked me what I'm, I'm going to do after I graduate or retire or whatever it is. Uh, and I would like to demonstrate by showing you who I'm going to be doing it with. I'll introduce you to my uh, personal cast of characters. So cast, if you'll all step forward. Alex, are you listening? <laughs> You see, she's taking charge already. say something. I'm going to have to live with this. All right. All right. First, there's Aaron, my phantom husband, who mysteriously appears only at the annual West baseball game. This is Josh, my bouncing baby boy, who finally graduated from the West Sunday School at the age of 31. <laughs> and many of you were here for that. This is his sainted wife, Mary, who keeps him from moving back home with us. <laughs> Staying way up. This is Sophie, who's this many. And this is Emma, who's this many. Uh, this is my son-in-law, Tom, who changed from an, an eagle watcher to a legal eagle overnight. Uh, this is my daughter, Alex, who's this many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and who last year didn't know where her next meal was coming from, but a lot of those meals came from a lot of you people out there. And last but not least, turn them around, please. This is Madeline, who miraculously enough turned this many this year. And I just want to say one more thing, uh, a caution. No matter what you think, you can't get rid of somebody by just giving them away a, a goodbye party. Uh, and as elegant and moving and magnificent as this one is, it still won't do it because I'll be back next year and the year after that and the year after that. And because I love you all and because this is my home. Mimi Henry, where Mimi Henry has uh, has something as well. Well, Joel, we rethought about the gold watch. <laughs> we felt that you have left us a legacy that we will never forget, and we will enshrine that legacy in the caring fund so that people who come after us will remember what you have left us here and know who you are. But we needed to give you something to take with you so that you would remember us. And hopefully, you would keep it with you all the time. And every time you look at it, you will remember the people who love you here. Thank you. Um, let's, Chorus, can you come on up and we'll do this one song? You guys can stay if you'd like, or, or you can sit down. Yeah.